I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Prakopton. First, an apology to Sally and the rest of you for Friday's episode. It seems that I went in a direction that wasn't the intended direction that the question was meant to send me in. The question really was just, is it unstoic to have fun? From which I decided to extrapolate, is it unstoic to do what you enjoy simply because you enjoy it? So to correct that, let me quickly answer the original question. No. It is not unstoic to have fun, Sally, and everyone else listening. The only thing that is unstoic is to live out of accordance with your own nature. For this is living out of accordance with nature, capital N. And for a human being to feel joy or elation during a particular activity, that feeling, that expression of said joy or elation isn't unstoic. The sage feels love, joy, and elation. The only caveat is that this joy cannot cloud your emotional faculty. But when it does, it's not that joy or fun has suddenly become unstoic. It's that you've crossed the line between in control of and not in control of your rational faculty. Or more accurately put, between being appropriate and rational and not being appropriate and rational. Joy, love, elation, fun, it's all fine until it rises to the state of a passion, which is a degree of emotional engagement that disrupts your ability to be rational. That's the line. And I hope this short answer is a bit more useful to Sally and the rest of you than my first one. Again, apologies for going a bit far afield on a bit of a tangential tear, if you will, in the last episode. I'm sure it will happen again at some point, and I'm asking for your ongoing forgiveness. If you don't love me at my most tangential, you don't deserve me at my most practical, or something like that. Anyway, good morning, Prakapton. Again, I'm glad you're here. Today, we're talking about the circle of life. That's right, Simba. Strap in and call me Daddy Mufasa. I'm so sorry. This felt funny when I wrote it. As I take you deep into Book 8 of Meditations and share with you Meditations 18, which reads as follows. Okay, I'll stop now. 
That which has died falls not out of the universe. If it stays here, it also changes here, and is dissolved into its proper parts, which are elements of the universe and of thyself. And these too change, and they murmur not. Yes, the antelope becomes the grass, the antelope eats the grass, which makes the antelope cannibals, Simba, and that's why you must never go anywhere that the light does or does not touch, because the antelope have acquired a taste for flesh, and they will eat you, Simba. They will eat you alive. I'm in a weird mood this morning, I guess. Sorry. Today, we're going to be talking about the meditation I just read, and I promise I won't do any more poor impressions of James Earl Jones or whatever the hell I think I was doing just then. Mufasa Daddy, we'll call that voice, and we'll never speak of it again. Before we start, though, a thank you to new patrons. Just one new patron this week, Jesper Jensen. Jesper Jensen, the one and only new patron, the Spartacus of my heart, the cheese that stood alone, the red sheen on my solo cup. Thank you, Jesper Jensen. You are the best this week. Now let's hear a word from a couple of my sponsors, and when I come back, I will reiterate the meditation and we will get started. Stay with me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks, and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often, so stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. The circle of life. I think this is a concept you already understand, but in case you don't, you're born as a human as a result of gametes from your mom and dad meeting in some magical way and becoming a zygote. Then you become a fetus and eventually, if everything goes according to plan, you become a bouncing baby boy or girl who goes on to repeat this cycle later in their life. The food we eat is part of producing the gametes in our body, and our bodies, when we die, usually are broken down and become part of the soil, and food grows from soil, so, you know, it's a whole closed system kind of a thing. If James Earl Jones were here, he'd tell you himself. But I don't have that kind of influence as a podcaster, so he's not. Marcus is talking about the same thing. Again, that which has died falls not out of the universe. If it stays here, it also changes here, 
and is dissolved into its proper parts, which are elements of the universe and of thyself. And these two change, and they murmur not. What's the first law of thermodynamics, everyone? Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. And how about the law of conservation of matter? That says that in any system that is closed to the transfer of matter, in or out, rather in and out, the amount of matter in the system stays constant. Well, we do live in a closed system of somethingness, right? The universe. So the net balance of both energy and matter cannot change. That means when we die, the energy involved in running our bodies may dissipate and seem to vanish, but in actuality, it stays in the system and is given to other things to use in different ways. Same with matter. Your crusty old skull will eventually break down. However, fun fact, not until many, many centuries after your butt cheeks will eventually break down and become nutrient or ingredient for something else. If you like, imagine a wax statue of a man. Now melt it down and re-sculpt it into a wax statue of a horse. The man isn't in the horse. You have to go to Tijuana for that kind of thing. The man is gone. But it is certainly the case that the same ingredients used to form the man have now been used to form the horse. It is something like this, but on a cosmic scale in Marcus's eyes. That which has died falls not out of the universe. That's right because of both the conservation of energy and matter. If it stays here, which it does, it also changes here, naturally, and is dissolved into its proper parts. Okay, what does that mean? What does and is dissolved into its proper parts mean? Well, we all know what the word dissolved means, so no need for an explanation there, but what about proper parts? What are the proper parts that the bits of a dead thing, us specifically, return to? And what makes them the proper parts and not the improper ones? Would it even be possible to have our remains dissolved into not the proper parts? The Romans either buried their dead or cremated them. So when you're buried, you return to the earth, and when you're burned, you return to the sky. And also, in the case of cremation, a fancy little pot, which is eventually broken, and then you return to the dustbin, which is then thrown out into the street, where you're caught on a wagon wheel and ground into the earth. So there we go. Full circle, you're back to the earth. My suspicion is that proper parts refers to some very archaic understanding of air, water, earth, and fire. Perhaps your breath returns to the air. Your body is destroyed by flame, in the case of cremation. And your ashes can return to the earth, and that leaves water. And I have no idea, but the ancient Stoics had some very strange views, like every ancient philosophy or individual did by today's standards, about the origins of breath and heat and coolness and so on. So I think proper parts is just a more and more granular division of your matter and energy. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer to that one. And these two change. Our breath returns to the air and it, for example, changes into rain or, more comically, is breathed in and out by someone else and becomes bad breath since that person just had a really garlicky meal. Everything changing, returning, cycling, etc. And they murmur not. If we take the immediately previous meditations with 18, and by that I mean within book 8, I don't mean all the meditations up to that point, but all the meditations in book 8 up to meditation 18, and then add 19 and 20, I think this means, and they complain not. As chapters 10, 
through 20 specifically seem to be a very long-winded overview and then defense of, among other things, the concept that death should not be feared or worried about. And that's it, really. There's a cycle, you're part of it, that's a fairly beautiful thing to think of, to be part of such a grand cycle. And why would you be ashamed of, scared of, or anxious over a beautiful thing like the immortality of your constituent parts? In this way, after all, you live forever, which is far more cool than it is scary, at least I think. But since we're now talking about death, what are the practical applications of considering your existence, and specifically your death, in this way that Marcus is encouraging. We often hear Stoicism influencers shouting about how Stoic men, usually Stoic men, should be fearless in the face of death because death is inevitable and so it's stupid to worry about it, you big stupid head. But that seems more like grandstanding to me and maybe just a little bit too the lady doth protest too much, methinks. Sure, Stoic Dave, 1562. We get that you're telling us to be fearless in the face of death, but you're 25. You're chasing a liberal arts degree at a college your yuppie parents paid for, and you have a trust fund waiting for you when you turn 30. So does this talk of fearlessness have any practical application, or is it just masculinity fodder for your TikTok audience? I will answer that question and lay out a practical application of Meditations 8.18 after the break. Stay with me. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm playing it a little fast and loose with the ads. I know I'm getting used to writing longer Monday episodes. I've got to get four ads in Monday episodes and six in the longer Friday episodes. So I'm still kind of learning. Bear with me. These episodes will become a bit longer so it doesn't seem like the ads are happening too close to each other. So just chill. Give me some time. I'm adjusting. Anyway, I said I was going to answer a question, right? I said I was going to answer whether or not all that fearlessness of death had any real practical utility in our real world. If I were going to make a list of the top four reasons human beings are death-averse, in my opinion, I would probably list them in the following order. Most responsible for the fear to least responsible for the fear. First, evolutionary biology. We are, by our primal instincts, motivated to be not dead for as long as possible. Number two, pain. I think that most of us imagine that there is at least some pain involved in the process of dying. I imagine if it's of natural causes, it's more like falling asleep, but surely there are many painful things that can result in death, and though the cause isn't the effect, the cause of death is proximal enough to the effect of death, that is to say actually dying, to say that dying, when the cause of it has been being hit by a bus, 
hurts. Third, unfinished business, maybe better labeled regret. The tick-tock of the coming end makes a lot of us feel like the clock is going to run out before we've done all the things we feel we must do before we die, lest we be failures at living, whatever that means. And then fourth and lastly, unknowns. Nobody who is presently alive knows for certain what happens after we die. I mean, we understand it biologically, but is there another plane of existence that our consciousness graduates to? We don't even understand consciousness in our living lives, scientifically speaking. So what do we know about it after we're dead? Does it really go away? That would seem to be the case, but while it is easy to giggle at the numerous versions of the so-called hereafter that every piece of cultural mythology, folklore, or religion has dreamt up over the ages, the truth is, one of them could be right, or none of them could be right, and the truth could be that we finally meet Charlie on Candy Mountain. If you know, you know. The Stoic position on death and the hereafter and the message of many of Marcus's meditations can help with two, three, and four, while reason number one, the evolutionary biology bit, is more so within the realm of proto-emotions, and Stoicism can't help us, for example, stop the instinct or impulse to run when the lion is chasing us because it has to be said, and I believe the Stoics would agree, it is living in accordance with nature to avoid becoming lunch, or any other meal for that matter. With numbers 2, 3, and 4, however, like I said, I think we can find some utility in what the Stoic literature and Marcus says about death and the fear of it, and conquering the fear of it specifically. In the case of pain, we have to do some thinking. Seneca is on record numerous times referring to pain as unnatural, but he's also on record probably just as many times saying that nature subjects man to pain. So let's agree, because of this contradiction, that Seneca may not exactly be the authority to go to on the topic of pain and whether or not it's natural. Then who is? I actually don't think we need any ancient Stoics to form a practical understanding of pain. I think we can use our own subjective experiences and common sense. What is pain? It is, as I understand it anyway, at the level of the nervous system, a physiological, partly, and psychological, partly, response to stimuli of some kind. For example, you're stabbed. The breaking of skin, the spilling of blood, and the piercing of organs is communicated across your nervous system and your brain becomes aware of it. It hurts. It is painful. We know physical pain exists. We know pain is, to some degree, natural. Even if by natural we only mean naturally occurring, we don't have to mean natural to feel but we can agree that the ingredients to feel pain are present in nature, lest we wouldn't ever feel pain. But is it within a human's nature to feel pain? Again, yes, it is. Does the sage feel pain? I think the answer here is yes as well. The human body seems to be wired to feel pain as a function of its evolutionary drive to avoid things that might kill it. But there's more to say on this because this is stoicism, remember? Words tend to mean things other than what we think they mean today. Pain, when it's spoken about in the philosophy, might very well refer to perceived hurt and not physical pain. Perhaps physical pain existing and being natural would have been so obvious to a Stoic that they would not have even tried to suggest it didn't exist. 
When we translate Greek into Latin and then into English, we're using words in each language to account for words in the other language that might not exist in that original language. In the English word pain, we might be mapping that word pain to a word in Latin that might be just a bit contextually different in Latin. And that word that's contextually different in Latin than the English that we use might itself be contextually different from the Greek word it is trying to translate itself, which itself is contextually just a little bit different. This is like playing telephone. One small contextual difference when translating language A to language B can become a lot bigger when translated from language B to language C. So I guess what I'm saying here is that the vibe of each word, pain in English, pain in Latin, and pain in ancient Greek, could be just different enough, and commonly is, that when we say pain, we're talking about today something that the ancient Greeks were not talking about when they came up with Stoicism. And this is why ancient language translations are so difficult in general. If you could just highlight, copy, and paste ancient Greek into Google Translate, people who could read ancient Greek wouldn't be useful anymore. So pain might just mean, in reality, in the ancient Greek sense, perceived hurt, perceived wrong. And I think that this is likely what the vibe of the original usage of the original word was, because there is an aspect of pain which is purely psychological. And it's the judgment we're making about the physical or otherwise evolutionarily driven pain. And Stoics care about assenting to impressions poorly and arriving at judgments that are illogical. So this kind of lines up. This idea of mine lines up a bit. When your spouse cheats on you, there's objective damage done externally, right? Bank accounts get affected, maybe jobs get lost, kids are up for grabs in custody battles, etc. There's damage done, there's collateral damage. And there is also perhaps an internal heart feeling that might be considered pain, and that is natural. No one who has ever suffered heartbreak would tell you they were choosing to feel that way. It is a very natural thing to feel when you're betrayed or left or otherwise let down. But what about all the other parts that are about how you're thinking about the behavior of that other person and how wrong and hurtful it was? That is not naturally occurring primal proto. That's you assenting to a bunch of thoughts and ideas. You're choosing that stuff. So if we consider pain with all of those thoughts in mind, then fear of the pain of death is natural to the extent that we want to be alive, but it is also unnatural as death is not an evil. And we are not harmed by death in concerns to the only good, virtue. Even Zeno proposes this in one of his syllogisms. No evil is glorious, but death is glorious. Therefore, death is no evil. And here, Zeno means death as in the death of defending your kingdom, for example. That is a glorious death. So no real harm is done to us in death. It's simply a natural phenomenon that is at the end of every living thing's time of being alive. It is natural to be pain-averse, but not to be natural process-averse. And now how about reason three, unfinished business? Well, Stoicism has plenty to say about that. In fact, it is the root of the Latin memento mori. Remember, you're going to die. So what the hell are you doing waiting around, leaving your business undone? Regret, then, is natural. 
but not for the sage. The sage will regret nothing. But are you a sage? No, neither am I, of course. I feel like I always have to say that. I'm not a sage either. Will you feel regret? Will I feel regret? Well, that depends. And it doesn't necessarily depend on whether or not you become a sage, but whether or not you've given yourself a realistic list of to-dos and have focused on working towards completing that list a sufficient amount of time over your lifetime, whatever that amount of time ends up being. And how about reason number four? unknowns. Well, this is the most silly thing of all, because as Marcus says in Meditations 2.11, since it is possible that thou mayest depart from life this very moment, regulate every act and thought accordingly. But to go away from among men, if there are gods, is not a thing to be afraid of, for the gods will not involve thee in evil. But if indeed they do not exist, or if they have no concern about human affairs, what is it to me to live in a universe devoid of gods or devoid of providence? Or, in other words, no matter what is on the other side, how in the world could it matter? You're either in a new plane of existence where there are just gods or no gods. And if it's no gods, cool. No rules, just right. Have it your way. But if there are gods, hey, that's good too, because they will be just. But what if there's nothing? Well, congratulations. You fell asleep and any concern you had about what was next is no longer present because you are no longer present. And if you are not present, that means you will not be around to be bothered by this reality. It would be the ultimate peace. But what if it's a devil with a pitchfork? Well, ask yourself whether it's a rational, natural thing to exist. A devil with a pitchfork that punishes you for eternity, which is, by the way, as long as a punishment can be. Just because you spent, let's say, 80 years on Earth being less than perfect, or even outright terrible. I mean, if you want to talk about an example of the punishment not fitting the crime, there's one for you. The Stoics would have entirely dismissed such thinking. And you probably should too, but that's up to you. And that's it. Fear of death, wrapped up, solved, never to bother us again. Though, of course it will. Of course we're not sages, and we have to work towards a comfort with the natural process of dying. I cannot tell you how to do that, other than you should familiarize yourself with all the reasons death shouldn't be feared, and then go on continuing to familiarize yourself with them until they are internalized. Remember, every character trait, even sagehood, comes about through habituation of behavior. So keep revisiting this stuff. Keep listening to the Stoics. Keep trying to believe it yourself. Remember, you are wax. The universe is wax. And death is natural. Nobody goes anywhere. Nothing disappears. It's all a natural process of being sculpted, unsculpted, and sculpted again. Thanks for listening today. I appreciate you being here every Monday and Friday when I release new episodes. If you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, please consider becoming one today. Hit that follow or subscribe button. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, consider leaving a five-star review and some of your thoughts on today's episode. That would be nice. I love to read some new reviews on Apple Podcasts. And let me know if you're on Spotify, leave a comment on today's episode and let me know how you felt about this episode. I tried to weave in a little bit of comic relief. I don't know if it worked or not. And if you'd like to see more of that sort of thing, let me know. And if you would rather not, let me know that too. Of course, keep it thoughtful, considerate, and kind. And until next time, take care. 